0: Hey, good morning. morning. so good to see you guys here. Welcome to those of you online as well. And don't you just love that? I mean, his peace be with you. That's something that goes back centuries. In terms of one of the most hopeful greetings that you can give, one of the most life-giving exchanges that you can have as one follower of Jesus to another, and the, the response, once someone says, his peace be with you, the response is what? And also with you. You know, Joe does that all the time with me over the years. I just, I love his real deal. And I, I love what he says, the way he terms it, an unordinary peace for unordinary circumstances. Which is why we're calling this no normal peace, because these are no normal circumstances. Anybody here glad we're counting the days left in 2020? But guess what? Here's my encouragement to you. 2021 will be just as fallen as 2020. So there you go, there's your good news. But in the midst of Advent, we still wish one another peace. I found this, it says peace on earth. And it's pretty rare. You don't see this very often at Christmas time, I realize. Uh, this is a collector's item. It'll be kept in a safe after. Are you kidding? These are all over the place. But the kind of peace that people talk about is more of a normal peace. It's circumstantial. It's, oh, may, may we get out of this pandemic. May we get out of this or that. And what Joe is referring to is an, unor- an unordinary peace that was cultivated within him in the midst of unordinary. I love that word he uses, Circumstances. And we might see these ornaments and cards and uh, decorations all over the place saying peace. But the kind of peace that the scriptures talk about, it's not circumstantial, it's internal. It's not passive, it's active. It's not something that happens. To us where we're just sitting around and all of a sudden it comes. It's not a matter of us getting out of the situation that we're in. It's something that goes on inside us. And if we're going to truly and deeply and authentically engage with the gospel, I've got to learn. I've got to learn the dance of shalom, which is the word. It means wholeness. It means thriving. It means flourishing. It means a soundness, a stability, it's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, for whoever would love life, the Greek word for life there is zoe, it's not circumstantial, it's not heart beating, it's not lung breathing, it's the life of God. And whoever would engage with the life of God, you've got to participate, you've got to engage, and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good, and he must seek peace and pursue it. we got a responsibility in this. Romans 14.19, Paul says, let's therefore make every effort to do what leads to shalom. Am I doing in my life what leads to shalom? Or am I simply waiting for it to happen to me? Jesus in Luke 19.41, as He approached Jerusalem, this is the, at the beginning of His final passion week he saw the city he wept over it and he said if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it's hidden from your eyes he says if you don't known what would bring you true shalom And it's not the manipulation of circumstances. It's not getting him to be the king to eliminate the Romans and all the oppression. He says something that goes far deeper. So where do we find out about it? I mean, right now, I got several areas of my life where I need that. Who can disciple me? Who can mentor me? Who can teach me? Which is why we're bringing up a passage about Mary. And what Becca and Laura read earlier, That's a passage of shalom. She had a posture of of peace. It's something that Joseph, I'm sure, noticed. In fact, I had a professor at Wheaton College. I was speaking at another event earlier this week and I brought this up. He wrote a monologue from Joseph to Mary. Now, a lot of people think Joseph and Mary, they were this nice little happy couple because they were starting holiday. And so everything was rosy. No, are you kidding? They were betrothed to be married. There was a legal term in the Galilee wasn't like our typical engagements. Once the proposal had been made and accepted, the groom went away to, to, to build a room, add a room onto his father's house. The archaeologists refer to them as insula communities. It's the background of what Jesus is saying, in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It's bridegroom type language. And during the betrothal period, if the groom were to die… That bride-to-be becomes a widow. So it's not just, hey, we'll try this. We're in it. The marriage has not been consummated, but we are committed. And it was during that time that Mary, Joseph, discovers is pregnant. Are you kidding? You talk about no ordinary circumstance. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. And so Joseph, we're told, meets with her to quietly divorce her. And this monologue my prof wrote has in two parts, first parts right after he discovers this. And he's, about, he's telling her that he's gonna divorce her quietly. Part two is the next morning after the angel visits him. But I want you to hear a little bit from chapter, from chapter one, the first chapter. And what he tells her, what he's noticing, What Joseph is noticing about Mary, he says, Mary, I don't wish to hurt you. I can read the pain in your eyes. But I can also tell that your sorrow is for me, not yourself. And this baffles me. I I keep searching your face for a trace of guilt, and I find none. I wait for the flush of shame to overcome you at some unguarded moment, but there's no shame. I watch for your hand to repress a moan of distress from your lips. Instead, I only detect that faint, undefinable smile of peace, which I cannot understand. How can you look so peaceful, Mary? You seem to have withdrawn into a different world. The calm on your face reflects the impact of an awesome travel into infinity. There's a serenity in your eyes, like the gaze of one coming out of the desert with visions of God. Mary, it seems that your soul has been lifted to nobility. What has happened to you? What had happened to her is she had engaged with the shalom of God. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm not going to read again the passage that Laura and Becca read to you earlier, but we'll refer to some of those verses here in just a minute. But after that section comes a song of Mary one of the great songs in fact Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, talked about this song in this way he said the song of Mary is the oldest advent hymn it is at once the most passionate the wildest one might even say the most revolutionary advent hymn ever sung I want you to hear it I will not sing it but I want you to hear her words And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. Hmm. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now remember the context. Her husband is, is heartbroken. She's scandalized. And that never left her. And in the midst of this circumstance, she continues her song. My God has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One, He's done great things for me. Holy is His name. So whatever other people are thinking, that's one thing. But what the Almighty is up to in my life… His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation, and He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but it's lifted up the humble. And He's filled the hungry with good things, but He's sent away the rich empty. He's helped to serve in Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he promised, our ancestors. So what's your circumstance? Your stormy circumstances it has something to do with 2020, and this pandemic and politics and our, our, our racial inequities and maybe financial things and health issues. What is it there? How can we know, a not normal? A not ordinary piece. What can we learn from Mary? You know, you can do, glean a number of things from her, but this week I've just been settling in. And she's come alongside 2,000 years later. And she says, hey, by your example, she reveals at least three characteristics. There are several more, but I'm going to deal with three. Three that I'm seeking to emulate in my own storm so that I might know as shalom. And these are heart characteristics that are both cause and result of shalom. They, they bring about shalom, they reveal shalom, they bring more shalom. The first one is receptivity in the presence of God's love. The thing that you see in the song and the passage that we read earlier there in Luke 1, Mary had a receptivity in the presence of God's unconditional love. You know, we typically like bargaining with God. We like taking credit for, okay, that God loves me. Now, we would never say that, especially if we've been in church for a while, because we know that's not the right thing to say. But deep down, we have that bargaining sense. I love the story of the little guy. He's six six years old. He's writing a letter to Santa. He had four gifts that he really wanted, four toys. And so he, was, he needed to make a case. And so he said, Dear Santa. And then he started thinking about it. He started thinking, you know what? In the org chart, Santa ain't at the top. So he crossed out Santa and said, dear God. Then he started thinking a little bit more. You know what? It's his son's birthday. So maybe he would understand since it's his birthday. So he says, dear Jesus, I have been good for six months. So I would like these four presents. Finished that, and then, and then just stared at that sentence for a bit, and then began reflecting on the last six months. And he said, mm. So he crossed out number six and put the number three. He felt like that was a little bit more realistic. For the past three months, I've been good. He thought about that. Mm, no, I haven't been good. Uh, so he, he marked out months and put weeks. For the past three weeks, I've been good. And then he started thinking about it. No, I haven't. And then he put, crossed out three and put one. For the past one week, I've been good. And then he thought about things that he had done that previous week. And he's thinking his case is just unraveling. And he looked around, leaned back, looked around, looked at the family Christmas decorations, and there was a crash a manger scene over here. He went over to it, you know, it has Mary Joseph, the animals, baby Jesus. He took the figurine, the Mary figurine, put it in his pocket, and went back and rewrote his letter. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... What kind of bargains have you made? We think, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, God. And that will lead to nothing. But unrest of the soul, because we can never bridge that infinite gap. I mean, we can't to lower God's holiness, to try to elevate our, our worthiness. We realize that ain't happening, but what Mary did is she received something. Go back to the text, what was read earlier, verse 28, the angel went to her and said, "Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you." Mary was greatly troubled at his words. If she were prideful and thinking, yep, about to get what's coming to me, she would have said, yep, about time. No, 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 she was troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. One of the most powerful realities of the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, is that statement. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor. On the count of three, I want you to say your name. Ready? Say it out loud, whether you're here or online. One. Two, three, do not be afraid, don't be stressed. You found favor with God. That's His doing, it's not yours, it's not a bargain. Oh, in our religiosity, it caters to our pride. Religiosity does, and we try to say, "Okay, I'm earned this." But, and and some people have tried to make Mary sinless. She was just as sinful as anyone else. But there was something about her heart posture. She was receptive. To that favor, that smile, really that love. Psalm 69, verse 13. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor and in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. So if I'm going to be engaging with the favor of God, I've got to be tasting the love of God. I've got to grapple with that. I read this past week about some professionals, they were doing some research. They uh, interviewed. Four to eight-year-olds. They surveyed them. They wanted to, the question was this, what is love? And there are a ton of answers. I can't give them all to you, but I'll give you a few. Uh, Carl, age five, said this, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. Okay, that's one idea. Lauren, four years old, she said, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. She has a clever older sister, I'll tell you that. But, I, I, but here's the one I want you to, to hear. Let this one settle. It's Bobby. He's five years old. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas. If you stop opening presents and listen, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas. If you stop opening presents and listen, listen to the chorus of an angelic choir. on a hillside outside of a hole-in-the-wall village called Bethlehem, singing these words, Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest heavens. And on earth, on earth, peace. To those on whom his favor rests. That little last caveat, you don't see it a whole lot at Christmas time, but it's his favor that brings the shalom. If I don't have his favor, I'm not going to have shalom because shalom is not me manipulating my circumstances and getting this bubble around me. It's me navigating authentically through a fallen world knowing that the smile of God is upon me and that smile is his favor, it's his love, and it's not him responding to some deal I done it's what he has done through his son who came not to be the mascot of a holiday not to start a religion but to die and pay a penalty that it would take me otherwise eternity to pay it's 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 advent you guys have been walking with me some of you have for long enough you know what's in my pocket don't you every advent I carry a nail every day And in the midst of the hot chocolate and the sentimental Christmas carols and the sweet little manger scenes, uh, every now and then I'll just be talking. I stick my hand in my pocket and I feel that nail. And it reminds me, this is not about sentimentality or nostalgia. This is about a baby who is fully God and fully human who came to die. And the reason that Christmas is so powerful is because of Good Friday and Easter. And as a result, Jesus says, you know what, I've paid for your sin. So God has favor on me, not because he says, hey, let's just sell it bygones be bygones and let's pretend that stuff didn't happen or you didn't omit that or commit that or think that. It's not God ignoring it. He would cease to be God. He would cease to be just if he would ignore it. It's paid for. C.S. Lewis, that great apologist back in the 20th century, mid, midway through, he, he was in, uh, at a British conference on comparative religions. And he had been out of the room and these scholars were debating uh, various religions. He came back in and there was quite a ruckus going on. In fact, Lewis referred to it as a rumpus. He walked in and said, what's all the rumpus about? And they were having a debate about what was unique about Christianity that's that's unique above all other world religions. Is it the incarnation, the resurrection, so forth? And they were going back and forth. Lewis says, oh, that's easy. It's grace. No other religion in the world has grace. Buddhism, eightfold path, Hinduism, karma, Judaism, covenants. Islam, rule of law, Christianity is peace on all those who've tasted His grace. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7, Paul opens his epistle by saying, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and what? Peace. Do you know he starts every one of his epistles like that? Grace and peace go together. If I don't get grace, I'm not going to get peace. if I can't taste grace, I can't taste peace. If I'm thinking I've got a bargain, it will create not a shalom, but a storm in my soul. In Romans chapter six, or Numbers chapter six, that great beatific blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine on you. That's what brings shalom of knowing in the midst of the circumstance his smile is there and when his face is towards me that's when I know shalom and Mary was receptive to that and there are times I don't want to be because I don't think I've I deserve it well I don't we think well it sounds too good to be true that's why it's called the gospel And to deeply celebrate Christmas is to taste shalom, to taste shalom. I am receptive in the presence of His favor. And then these other two just flow out of that. Her second second heart characteristic I see in her is a pliability in the presence of God's instruction. Mary was malleable, pliable. We talk about the opposite of shalom is when I won't receive His love, I stiff arm it. And another barrier to shalom it's when I am not pliable to his instruction. I'm not referring to his advice, but his authoritative instruction. Go back to the text. Look at verse, the, the angel, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. And may your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's a powerful thing. God, may Your Word to me, may Your instruction to me come to fruition from my obedience. Obedience is not going to get you to love me. You already love me, but I'm obeying you in response to that. May Your Word in me be fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, this great Christmas text. To us a son is given. This is one of the hundreds of prophecies about Christ's coming. A child is born, a son is given, his deity and his humanity, and the government will be on his shoulders and it will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And here's what I want you to get. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His leadership, his instruction, his authority, his government... When I'm pliable there, I'll know the peace. No government, no peace. Dante Alighieri wrote Divine Comedy, he starts it. I mentioned this to you before. He says, in the middle of the road of my life, I awoke in a dark wood where the true way was wholly lost. In the middle of the road of our life, I awoke in a dark wood where the true way was wholly lost. It was called 2020 not really but you and i've all felt that what i've not shared with you before is in canto three he says god's will is our peace we awake we're in a dark we feel like the way is lost he says hmm god's will is our peace if we'll hear him back in, uh, you hurricane historians back, back in 2004, what was the hurricane that came through Orlando in August of 2004? Charlie. Shocked everybody because it kind of turned 105 to 150 mile per hour winds. It did a lot of damage. Category 4 came through. I wasn't living here at the time, but I was here in September, October, shortly after that. and I was with a friend on Sand Lake Road and he pointed out a sign to me. And remember back then they didn't have digital billboards it was like wallpaper you you bought an ad they they get it printed glue it there attach it however you do and then once your contract is done they come up with a new advertisement they put that on top of the old one what had happened during charlie is the current ad had been shredded and it was just it was all this vinyl just just hanging by uh, sh- uh, threads off of that billboard. And so what came out in the midst of all of the torn up current ad is the previous advertisement. And the previous advertisement said, let's talk, in quotes. Signed, God. Let's talk. In the midst of this storm, he says, let's talk. And what will bring shalom to me is not just a a receptivity to His love, but a pliability to His voice, to His will, to His Word. And then the third, humility. Humility in the presence of His provision. Mary was receptive. She was pliable, but she was humble. During the quarantine, uh, you know, that used to be a fairly defined period of time. You know, we'd say during the quarantine, it was a couple of months. Now it seems like sometime in the last four years, I watched uh, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier's historic world championship bout on ESPN. Muhammad Ali was known for a number of things, but humility was not one of them. And how much of it was show and how much of it was deep heartfelt, I don't know, I'm not commenting on that. But he made all these statements about being the greatest. And at the prime of his career, he was taking a flight, he was in first class, he didn't have a seatbelt fastened. And the flight attendant came by and said, Mr. Ali, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And somebody next to him heard this and re- reported it. He, she then just very graciously, very sweetly said, well, Superman don't need no plane either. <laughs> Put your seatbelt on. And he did. It's the humility that she talks about in verse 53. She says, it's a fascinating statement. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. It's not saying that there are people out there that are rich spiritually without God. It's just saying there are people out there that won't admit it. They won't acknowledge it. There's pride for me to receive a gift to embrace it I've got to acknowledge that I need it or I want it and that it will bless me and so often people stiff arm the gifts of God and at the end of Philippians chapter 4 Paul says don't be anxious and guys I would say this to you my friends my brothers and sisters in Christ let's let's speak this to one another let's not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let's make our requests known to Him and the peace of God. Let's do so in humility, saying, God, we really need You. I'm not just saying this to be polite. And He says, and the shalom, that's when the shalom comes, when we're, we're humble in that with the presence of our need. And it transcends all understanding. It'll guard our hearts, our, our minds in Christ Jesus. That shalom comes. And at the end of chapter 4, He says, and my God will meet all your needs. Humility is just honesty. It's not contrived. It's something that says, I I really am in need. So in the midst of whatever you're dealing with, I pray for you, you pray for me. Let's receive His shalom together. Let's pursue His shalom together. Let's experience His shalom together. This past week, our our video team asked me to, to do a video about this weekend and... So I just, I was on a street corner, downtown Orlando, horns honking, people buzzing by. I mean, it was noisy. And I just I pointed out a, a card, the Christmas card talking about peace. And you think that's not the place to open up a Christmas card on peace. It's not the place to talk about peace. Actually, it's the best place. In the midst of the traffic in the midst of the noise, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the crisis. I just had a 15, 20 minute conversation between services with a dear brother who's been here for over 30 years and is grappling with his last Christmas, his doctor told him due to leukemia. And I'm sitting here talking with him and I'm looking at the piece of paper that's on the wall there in the green room and it has the title for this weekend. And I was hearing no normal peace coming out of this man. It was the peace of Jesus. The shalom of God. He was so grateful for what God was doing in him and through him. He was opening up the card in the midst of the storm and he was sharing shalom with me let's pray together jesus i pray that we would share the peace with one another may we be able to say it's well with our soul not because of some mind trick but because of the Gospel. So may we deliberately cultivate receptivity in the presence of Your love. And pliability in the presence of Your instruction and Your Word. And also humility. Coming to You with open palms and saying, we need Your gifts. We need your enoughness. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the name of the Prince of Peace. I pray. Amen.